Thanks for listening to the audio of 717 Church. This is a place where we continually strive to worship Jesus as the King with our lives, wreck our personal kingdoms to build His kingdom, and live out God's Word in the way that we interact with others. For more information, please visit 717.church. Good morning, friends. I want to kind of walk through 1 Peter 3 together again because... Uh, Sunday morning, I just felt like I didn't do a great job of teaching scripture and I wanted to make sure that with the passage that we had, it was done well and to the best of my ability. So I'm recording again to just simply uh, be there to be an encouragement to each of us about who God is, what he is doing in our lives and uh, why it's important to make sure we understand scripture as a whole and not just bits and pieces or just take people's word for it. So uh, just a couple reminders. I just want to say thank you for John for teaching last week. He did such a good job. I know it was an encouragement to a lot of us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been using three main sentences that hopefully help us to understand this section of scripture. So our first one was, our current struggle should always show his active promises. No matter what we're going through, this should teach us who God is and what he's doing and more about him. The second one is, suffering and persecution are a promised part of our faith in Jesus. And every time we say, yay, super exciting. But it's vital for us to understand that so we have a healthy view of what this life is like in comparison to uh, what the world or what other people should say it should be like. And last, our view of God shows up clearly in all moments of life. And so our good moments and our hard moments all teach us about who God is. And we should be learning more about Him through those different things. And so I'm super thankful that we get to do this together. And 1 Peter 3, 1 to 8, unfortunately, has been misused so many times. And it's important when we do scripture to just read it in the whole of where it's at. So chapter 2 ends with talking about our submission points us to Jesus. And uh, Peter's clearly talking to slaves and how important it is that the way they handle themselves speaks to who their Savior is. And the same is true for us. And chapter 3 opens up with the word likewise. And this is simply just reminding us in the same way that Peter was just talking to those who were in slavery, which we know is wrong, but those who were in it. Uh, and it talked about the display of the intention of our hearts. And so our natural desire, yours and mine, uh, our natural desire is to not to submit. And it's just a constant reminder, if we think about it, of our brokenness and our need for a savior. And so if we ever have to wonder, like, do we need Jesus? I think we could easily have a conversation where you tell me about a person that has authority over you. And I think two or three questions later, we could easily remind ourselves both that that person is an authority and they drive us crazy and we have a hard time to to submit in some way. Uh, It's happened in my life, I'm sure it's happened in yours. But as we get into this section of scripture, it should be pretty straightforward. The way it's written, um, what it's talking about, it's all good. The problem is what we have done is many people have taken scripture 
and used it to their own benefit. And so they've used it for the suppression of uh, different races, used it for suppression of women, whatever it might be. And this is a terrible use of scripture. And so what's happened is a lot of times these words that we will read become huge moments and, and can easily have us fist clenched if we don't understand who God is, how he's uh, worked and what he's doing. And so I want to remind us before we get going <clears throat> of what scripture tells us of who God is. And so this is what we know from scripture. Men and women are the workmanship of the creator, Genesis 1:27. Men and women both need Jesus, Romans 3:23. Men and women both can receive the grace that is given. We know in John 1:16. And so when we talk about the fact that we must submit to Jesus, we all talk about the fact that's what we need. We also recognize that he has given us a kingdom purpose. Just where we're at, what we're doing, all of that. And it's not just for men, it's for men and women. We all have purpose. And so when we recognize that and recognize because what he has done, we should be responding to life and the situations that we're in differently. And this is that grounding in the foundation that he is king and I want to follow him. Where we're at and what we're talking about, especially here locally at 717, we recognize that this is a grounding that we have to have in order to move forward. That when we recognize that he is a loving king, that it will change our lives and the way we act. <clears throat> And so the wild thing is, Peter is actually writing to women who have traded their known religion and their family's religion and the religion of their household in order to follow Jesus. This was completely countercultural in a society where women were viewed as second rate and second class citizens. This would require counting a cost that none of us can fully understand. And so locally, where we live in the United States, any of those things, for someone to make a decision for faith is a big deal. But this is almost a complete concept that we can't even grasp. These are actually incredibly strong women who have made a decision to stand and go, this is something that I believe in and I'm going to choose. And then Peter's writing to them saying, you're doing such a great job. This is how you need to operate in order to win your husband to Christ. And so this isn't a, a um, this isn't a suppression. Instead, it's a calling to faith. And then the words that are used have only become negative words because of the way people have used them in the last uh, maybe couple hundred years. So we're going to walk through this together. Verse one, uh, when it talks about submission, submission is not slavery. And we recognize, and hopefully we should all understand, it's never okay, an, an okay for abuse. Submission is always used in the context of the example that Jesus has set. Jesus sets the example of what we should follow and we should submit to that. And Peter is specifically asking these women who have counted the costs and know how big a deal this is, that they would follow Jesus and consider their actions. These women have risked everything to follow Jesus. <clears throat> Our home fronts are usually where we're most ourselves though. And so this is what Peter's writing to. The gloves can come off much faster when we're home, right? The, the truth of where we're at um, 
our words can be sharper, our actions can be truer because we're comfortable and we're not holding up something that we think we should be in front of other people. Instead, in front of our family, we're usually our real selves. Uh, and sometimes this is good and sometimes this is really bad. And this is the arena that these women would be witnessing to their husbands. And so the brokenness of man has taken this section of scripture along with Ephesians chapter five and built rules and thought processes that have subjugated instead of lifted up. And so what we're saying is just this portion, this first word, if we're just honest, some of us could instantly cleanse our fists at hearing that. And it's because we have either experienced in some way um, a poor use of this or a uh, trying to use these words to hold someone down instead of helping them understand, man, this is a call to die to self in order for that person to come to know Jesus. And so man has, man has allowed such a poor interpretation of scripture uh, to lead to control instead of replicating the example of Jesus has set. And that's so vital, is when we take what God has given us and use that for control instead of Christ's example was, man, these people are going to flourish under my leadership. They're going to understand their sin, but they're also going to grow in who they are, what they're supposed to be doing. And so we should see that in vital ways. And so verses two to four often get a whole lot of play. And what this is, this is not an assessment of her looks. Instead, it's an assessment of her heart. And that's how she's going to be a witness. And this is true of all of us. What is the assessment of our heart? And what is God trying to work on in us to make sure that we are an example to those around us? Now, this is an assessment is not to keep you from using your brain or even having an opinion. And it's definitely not a call to slavery. Instead, it's a settling on the fact that Jesus has you and he has your family in his hands and you don't force, you don't have to force things to happen. And so you and I both have experienced the difference between when we allow Jesus to lead a situation versus trying to force the outcome. You see, my words are different, my posture is different, my desired outcome is different because I get to display the fruit of the spirit instead of dictating outcomes. It's such a different way when we let Christ lead us into situations and how we handle things versus what uh, we try to. We want this to happen so bad, so we try to dictate, we try to force ourselves onto it. And so this is, again, this is not a call to be a servant. Instead, it's a call with our posture to love Jesus the most. You see, when we have our hearts settled on who Jesus is, it marks us and allows us to respond differently. Our actions to those we are closest with should speak the gospel. So my question is, what owns me or what owns you? And am I living out of that instead of Jesus? It's easy for me to live out of what I own or try to allow to own me, and then I can easily respond poorly to those around us. And so for the past couple of weeks, just to be honest, I've been stuck in this weird spot of inadequacy and just kind of continue to build this cycle of not sure who I am and what am I doing and kind of questioning myself. And it's just been this swirling mix of half truths and lies. And I've even tried to different ways to just kind of escape so I don't have to think about it. And what it is, is simply me running to control instead of trusting God for what is happening in my life. 
And this brings us to verses five and six, where Sarah calls Abraham Lord. And if you're not sure of the situation, an angel came to visit uh, to basically let them know at a hundred, they're going to have a miracle baby. And if we're honest, the situation sounds ridiculous in that Sarah's way past childbearing age. Yet it's vital and so interesting for us to recognize that she, even in those moments, she did laugh, uh, but she still shows respect by using a title that denotes that, by calling him Lord. And by Lord, I believe what she's trying to say is, Abraham is the one I follow, and he's the one I'm with. And so in that moment of something ridiculous that she would have longed for for the longest time, she's saying, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you. Anything that is frightening, uh, and in my time in ministry, I've realized uh, we as humans can respond to things all kinds of different ways. But anything that's frightening usually causes us to respond in a certain way. And for a variety of reasons, uh, we can take each other to task all because we're afraid of the vulnerability that would be actually required for us to lead and to actually trust each other. And so it could be all over the place. I'd be, I'm scared. So instead of leading in vulnerability and just talking about it, I simply will go, I'm going to control. And Sarah does the exact opposite by saying, Lord. And because we live in fear of what might happen, we actually live in trying to control as much as I can instead of allowing Jesus to heal the wounds that we're covering up. Trust is based on getting over it and past all the blockades that we try to put up. And so we're going to end uh, with this call to action. And it seems that the husbands, it switches from uh, non-believing husbands to those who believe. And it's just this incredible call because we hear about sl slaves, wives, and then husbands. And what I heard from this is it's going from those who have the least amount of power to those who had the most amount of power in that context and in that time frame when he's writing. But I want to tell you real quick before we get into that, I get to do premarital counseling all the time, all the time, and I love it. Uh, but every time in, in the book that we read together, we read from Ephesians chapter 5, and it talks about wives submitting to their husbands. And without a doubt, we always have to unpack that. And this is how I unpack it, because it's vital for us to understand, is going, we often hear submission and we put up a wall. But what the section of scripture is saying is simply that it's actually the call of the man to be like Jesus. That's his job, is to follow him. And if he is following that call, he is naturally going to be a leader of his household that is loving, that is caring, that lifts those in his house up, that he is moral, that he is going to lead in a way that you would naturally want to follow. And so it makes sense that we're going, man, this is the way it should be. And this is the call that actually verse seven is going after is going, it shouldn't be hard for those around us to follow because our leadership is re revolved around us following Jesus. And so we're naturally going to seek uh, repentance. We're naturally going to be vulnerable servant leaders that are going to pour into those around us. And so it would make sense. It would be easy to submit. The submission should not be hard because of the leader following. And if we're honest, the issue in our Christian faith is not Jesus. 
It's us trying to follow him. And so he's that leader. That's what the male should be following. That's the weight they're carrying and then should walk into. And so the verses talks about he should lead in an understanding way. And this is moral wisdom that is evident by right living. The weaker vessel. Now that's always a hard one. I think if we're honest, it's become, again, can be used in a way uh, that puts others down. But I think it's vital for us to remember, first, we are sons and daughters of the King. We are saved by His grace. And to most of what I was understanding, this is simply a reference to, as a whole, as a generality, women are not as physically strong as men. But it doesn't mean they're less people. It doesn't mean they have less abilities. Uh, and it's important for us to make sure we're always reading Scripture in the context of not only that piece, but as scripture as a whole. And reading phrases without context can surely skew our view of these verses. We can often focus on the words that hurt in scripture. And so there's easy to pick out a couple verses or words out of these verses and go, man, this is, the, this is what Christians are. This is who they should be. And so that's one of the battles that we have to constantly live into is going, no, I am want to be more like Jesus. I want to lead in that way. I want to be more like him. And I believe that this hurt can be built up from either poor teaching or pain that we've experienced personally or we've witnessed in organizations. And this hurt can actually allow us to build up a wall or live in pain or filter our pain and reactions so that it becomes scripture, something scripture did not say. We end up with an ax to grind instead of a place for him to bring healing. And so I, uh, those who have experienced those things, especially locally, I think it happens often. Uh, I offer my most heartfelt apology that I can offer, and we're going to pray at the end of our time for healing. But I want you to hear this clearly. Ephesians chapter 5, and this verse in 1 Peter, is simply a call, like everybody else, for mutual submission. And this is vital because we have to hear that, that male and female, all of us have to bend our knee. We have to hear that each of us are called to be a part of the kingdom and to follow him. You see, we're called to love Jesus the most, and in doing so, we'll hopefully be in relationships that help us to be more like him. That's what we're after. We want to go. We need Jesus. We know that I want to bend my knee to him and be around others that are going to do that. And doing so, we are going to reach those around us because we can understand what he has done for us and how that sets us free to go and be an encouragement to those around us. And so I'm going to pray. But I ask you is just, man, what do you want to do? What do you believe the Spirit's doing in your life? And what is they calling you to? Maybe there's things in your life that you have so covered up of just pain and hurt that man, the Holy Spirit wants to get to and speak to today and free you up from that pain, but also call you into a life that's saying, man, there is freedom here. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. And so, Father, we want uh, your word to lead us, not my view of your word. And so help us. Help us to grow in our desire for scripture. Help us to grow an understanding of what that draws us into when it comes to relationship with you. And Father, uh, for many of us, we either know people who have been hurt by the uh, way people uh, teach Scripture and how that's kept us from you. 
So Father, may healing happen today. Father, we love you. We need you. And we ask for your spirit to move us in a mighty way. In your precious name, amen. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of this community. We hope that today's message helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and live out what his word is calling you to. Hit the subscribe button below to follow us, share with a friend, or leave a review. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at 717.church.